Good morning. My name is Spencer, and I am one of the pastors here. Uh, so, before we get into the text for today in Psalm 55, which is on page 272, if you want to go ahead and flip there, just have a church family quick uh, announcement uh, to address really the elephant in the room. So, uh, Friday was a big emotional day in our country uh, with the fall of Roe v. Wade. Uh, if you've been around, our, if you've not been around our church the last few years, uh, we are not a political church in the slightest. Uh, we do approach things biblically as they arise in the scriptures. So when it talks about uh, life in the womb, when it talks about justice, uh, we will address uh, the issue. Uh, we do believe as a church that life begins at conception. We believe that God is knitting and forming a child in the womb. And where biblical ethics overlap with political things, we will actually address that from the scriptures. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that uh, today. What I will say is you have, if you have not been here long enough, uh, and that was a lot to hear, I would invite you, please have a conversation with me or one of the pastors. We would love to have that conversation with you. I understand it is a very, very hot-button issue right now, and there are a ton of emotions that are stirring in the midst of all of that. Uh, but the reason I say that is because that ruling will directly affect this state. Uh, and there will be an opportunity for Christians to do what we are called to do in the coming years in this state. There will be unplanned pregnancies that happen in this state. And we as Christians are called to care for orphans. Uh, that's biblically James 1.27, the pure and undefiled religion before the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows. That is historically the church has stood up for orphans all the way back to the first, second, and third century when children who had uh, birth defects were being abandoned by Roman families and Christians were swooping in and adopting children. We get the opportunity to live out our faith and the calling of Christians when it comes to orphan care. That we'll have an opportunity to step into that through the foster system, which some of you should be praying about, domestic adoption. We have families that do domestic and international adoption in our church. I say all that to say that we have a benevolence fund in our church. It's $15,000 this year. That benevolence fund is for a lot of different things, from paying for, uh, uh, for families in our church that are behind on payments to uh, supplementing counseling costs to engaging community needs that we do from time to time. We have $15,000 that we set aside in our budget for that. We will be, in the future, giving adoption grants out of that because we want to incentivize and come alongside some of the financial cost of adoption because we deeply care about orphans. And, and my hope, my prayer is in the response to all of this that we would first walk in wisdom be salt and light, but that we would get behind the biblical ethic of orphan care and actually step into a need that is going to happen. Uh, so I want to uh, start this conversation. If you have questions about any of that, please don't leave today frustrated or angry. Please come and talk, and we can start a conversation. But we are going to be moving this direction with orphan care, and we want to encourage this as a church family. So we're going to be in Psalm 55 today which is on page 272 uh, in your blue Bibles. Uh, you can turn there and follow along. The text will be on the screen. Uh, these first three psalms and this summer in the psalms that we have uh, deal with, last week Chet introduced the idea in Psalm 37 of fret not. Be still before the Lord. Don't 
worry. This week, we get to walk into that a little more from Psalm 55. The next week uh, is a psalm of lament. These kind of all three uh, go together on this broader subject matter of what do you do in the midst of suffering. So, uh, we're in Psalm 55. We'll follow along with that in a moment. Um, a few, about a month ago, if you know me, I, I love music. I listen to lots of different types of music, different genres of music, different time periods of music, and I have Spotify, different playlists and shuffles that happen, and I had a shuffle. I was in a late 90s, early 2000s music, alternative music kind of mood. So I was letting the Spotify shuffle, and that's, you know, that was my childhood, late 90s, early 2000s. So these are songs that I grew up listening to. And then all of a sudden, one came on, and it hit differently. Because when you're listening to a song when you are a kid, you know, it doesn't hit the same when you're in your 30s. So it was a song called Breathe by Anna Nalik. Uh, that, you know, 2 a.m. and she calls me because I'm still awake. Yeah, all right, so that song. I'm listening to it. I'm like, oh, man, I remember this. And then all of a sudden, the chorus hit. And I went, oh, man. The chorus says this. Because you can't jump the track. We're like cars on a cable, and life's like an hourglass glued to the table. No one can find the rewind button now. So cradle your head and your hands and breathe. Just breathe. And I heard that, and I went, oh, oh man. I did not know songs from Grey's Anatomy could do that to me. Like, I just, I was like, man, she has a point. Life is like an hourglass glued to the table. Like there is no rewind button. She's talking about all like difficult situations and life is hard and suffering happens. And her advice is cradle your head and your hands and breathe. Just breathe. And I was like, yes, man, that is so good and so close. Like you almost got it. You got part of the picture. The gospel gives us a more complete picture. And this Psalm 55 today helps paint that in more completely. It helps give us a picture of what to do in the midst of suffering when life hits us in the face and how we are called to respond. We're going to look at this, the psalmist David, in the midst of deep trials and suffering, and we're going to see his response and how that is key for us and under, important for us in understanding how we are to respond in the midst of trials. So if you feel overwhelmed right now, if you feel ridden with worry or anxiety, if you feel like you are struggling, this psalm is for you, okay? Let me pray for us, and then we will get going. Father, I pray that you would help us be present this morning. You help us hear the words of this psalm, the wisdom that is bound up in it, that it would be balm for the soul, that it would help us see how we are to respond in the midst of trials and suffering. And that you would help us walk this out in faith, in repentance, in glorious worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 1. He says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. There are four urgent pleas right out the gate. He says, give ear, don't hide yourself from me, God, pay attention, answer me. This is a desperate, needy posture 
Lord, listen to me. Give ear to my prayer. And then he says, I'm restless in my complaint. And I moan. You ever heard someone moan before? And by someone, I mean not a child. <laughs> because like, in our household, we have, uh, in the summertime, we have ice cream. Because we're a fun family, and I'm a cool dad. And we have, my wife, my wife bought the variety uh, pack of, uh, box of uh, drumsticks, which back in the day, they just had like the vanilla-centered ones. Not anymore, you guys. They have ones that are filled with chocolate in the inside, and caramel in the inside. And about every day, our kid's like, can we have ice cream? And most days, we're like, yes. Now, they love the ones that have the chocolate and the caramel in the center, right? Because that's awesome. And, you know, they get the chocolate ones. I may or may not clear out the caramel ones. But by the end of the week, or however long we have them, what's left is just the, the original ones, the OG drumstick. And there is weeping and lamenting in our house sometimes. <laughs> With those, there's moaning and deep complaint. And it's like, oh, man, y'all have not experienced suffering yet if this is the type of lamenting that happens. Like, it's not a child, but if you ever heard, if you ever heard an adult moan in deep pain, it hurts the soul. It is heavy. It is a deep hurt, deep complaint. That's what's happening here. And then in verse 3, he says, Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. So, context. David is the Lord's anointed. Okay? He is a man after God's own heart. God fiercely loves David. Fiercely loves David. And yet, he ordains that David suffers. In fact, when you follow his life in first and second Samuel, you see he suffers over and over again. He has enemies that seek to destroy him, to kill him. Some of these psalms are written in the midst of those times, and that's what's happening here. So God loves his people deeply. That does not mean he will spare us from suffering in the slightest. Verse 4, it says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. David is an emotional and physical torment. He's restless, he cannot sleep. Moaning, it says, his heart is in anguish. Fear of death, fear and trembling are upon him. Horror overwhelms him. And some of you have felt that. You felt that with the death of a loved one. You felt that with abandonment that has happened in your life. That type of deep anguish of the heart. You felt that with rejection that happens in a way that makes you question reality itself and what's happening in your life. Like we, we feel this. And at some point, if you have not felt this, you will feel this. Suffering is guaranteed this side of the fall. You will feel this type of pain, the kind of pain deep in your soul when you have no more tears to cry. And when this happens, you maybe feel tempted to run. And that's what David feels here in verse 6. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. Which, by the way, we don't know what Selah means. Okay? 
in the Hebrew, we just don't know. It could be a, a pause, it could be a musical note. Not even Kanye knows what Selah means. We, just don't, we don't know what that means. But before that, he's like, if I had wings, if I could just spread and get away, if I could fly away, if I could wander and get in the wilderness. Who hasn't wanted that to run from your problems? Who hasn't wanted to flee and get away from it all? Maybe you're someone in a marriage that is filled with suffering and you want out. Maybe you're a teenager that's in a home that you maybe feel misunderstood. Or maybe it just feels toxic. Or maybe you're the parent of a teenager where you feel misunderstood and things are tumultuous and you just want to get away. Listen, most of us, we're not going to physically escape. It's not going to happen. But we will do it mentally, right? That's our go-to. We'll mentally escape. We'll go to Netflix, we'll go to social media, go to pornography. Because that's easy and controllable. To be able to get away from it, fly away to a, what feels like a safer place, but ultimately isn't safe for the soul. David feels that. He wants to get away from it all. He's acknowledging that before the Lord. I want to get away. Verse 8, I, want, I would hurry, verse 8, to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. A tempest is a storm. I can just find shelter in the midst of all of this from this storm, from this raging storm of suffering that he's enduring. Maybe you've wanted that. Maybe you've wanted that, you've been in a group, in a community group that feels like there's a lot of suffering, a lot of trials, a lot of people that are hurting. Maybe there's some relational drama that's happening, you just want to get away from it all. Maybe you're a group leader and you feel that as a group leader, I just want to stop leading this group. Maybe you feel this as... It pertains to the whole church family. Like, I just want to leave this church. I want to find somewhere else. I want to find shelter from what I'm facing. Listen, you have felt this or you will feel this. This side of the fall in a world that's filled with suffering. David feels this. He feels this and he continues in verse 9 to describe what he's facing. Destroy, verse 9. O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. So he has enemies that seek to destroy him, but he's also in a city it's filled with oppression and fraud and violence and sin. He wants to get out away from it all to the wilderness. He wants to leave it all behind. That's a familiar feeling for our country. I mean, that was 2020. Cities falling apart. People trying to, to, to leave and get away from all of it. My sister recently moved to Bozeman, Montana with her husband. And when they moved out there, and they were, before they moved out there, they were on a job interview out there and the Uber driver that was driving around said, hey, where are you from? They said, we're from South Carolina. He said, oh, good. He said, as long, as long as you're not from California. Because Montana and some of the states have been overwhelmed. People trying to get away from the cities, get away from the violence, get away from all, everything that's happening. The reality is, it's not just the cities that have sin all over it. It's the suburbs. It's, it's, it's your phone. It's the internet. It's all around us. David feels this. Iniquity, sin is all around him. But the situation is much worse. 
In verse 12, it says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from it. He's like, the enemies are not the worst part of what I'm facing here. Verse 13, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. David has been stabbed in the back and betrayed by a close friend, by a familiar friend. That's an intimate, close friend. A friend he used to go to advice for. In the throng is worship. So he used to worship together with him in the house of the Lord. This friend has betrayed him, and it is crushing. If you've ever been betrayed, it hurts. My first big dose of that was when I was 17 and uh, naive, 17, dating a girl, thinking things are, things are great. All of a sudden, boom, find out she's cheating on me with not one, not two, but most likely three. Couldn't confirm the third one, but I'm almost positive. Third, <laughs> three of my friends and football teammates. And it crushed me. I was like so naive, like how could this happen? You were my friends. You were my girlfriend. What in the world? And it taught me one valuable lesson. You really cannot trust anyone fully in this life like you can God. No one is 100% dependable like the Lord. But what came out of that is a lot of cynicism <laughs> and a lot of deep anger. I worked through it, you guys. It took some years to be able to get in to trust some people. But if you felt that kind of betrayal, it hurts. If you've been betrayed by a family member or a friend or a church family member, a mentor or a child or a parent or a significant other, it hurts. When you've had your trust violated seemingly beyond repair, it hurts. One of the most famous lines in, in all of Western literature is from Julius Caesar, Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. And Caesar, in the midst of the conspirators, in the midst of the senators who are uh, killing him or stabbing him, is fearless. He's fearless. But the moment he sees Brutus, his friend, he's no longer fearless. One of those famous lines, A to Brute, and you, Brutus. And this is a picture of, oh man, you would betray me as well. A dear, close friend. That's what David feels. A king betrayed by a close friend and when that happens for us you will there's a part of you that longs for retribution longs for maybe it's not retribution but it's justice but you feel that in you that's what David feels in verse 15 he says let death steal over them which is a poetic way of saying let death come upon them by surprise let them go down to Sheol alive Sheol is the place of death. The best I can tell what he's saying there is let them be buried alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. David has put his enemies, the evil in the city, his close friend, all in the same category. As he's lamenting before the Lord all of this. This shows the real thoughts and sorrow that David feels. Many of us have felt that. 
maybe a coworker that has hurt you, maybe a family member that has hurt you. We can relate to what David is saying here. And then a shift happens in verse 16. After 15 verses of David before the Lord, lamenting all the pain and suffering that he has endured and is facing, he shifts to the one whom he's crying out to in verse 16 and says this, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. He cries out to God because God is his help. Throughout the Psalms, you see this, when the ones that David writes. And throughout the Psalms, the Lord is our help. The Lord is our salvation. This cry here in this Psalm is personally humbling for me to, to, to read this, to see this on display. Because what happens for me, and I'm probably not alone, is that when I face problems, right, every now and then, it's like clockwork in our family. We have, every, every three years, we're due for like a major medical bill that just comes out of nowhere. And when it comes, like we're feeling with right now, it's like, all right, I'm going to hustle. Who I got to call? All right? Insurance company, doctors, how are we going to negotiate this? I get into, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this happen. And not one of the first responses that happens sometimes for me is this, is coming before the Lord in desperation and this needy humility, hitting my knees and praying, God, be our help. You are my help, Lord. You can solve this. You are the sovereign God over all of creation. You've got this. I feel humbled by this. I'm like, God, that's not my initial response sometimes. We need this. We need this, this desperate, needy posture of prayer, but it also happens consistently for David. Look at this in verse 17. He says, evening and morning and at noon. Okay, that is... The Hebrew language for a full day, because the Hebrew understanding of a day is from evening to evening, okay? Evening, noon, morning, he's saying all day long, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. That he comes before the Lord over and over and over again, evening and morning and noon, with this persistent, desperate, needy prayer. David, listen, David knew that God was his only hope, the only one he could depend on. And here's what happens. Our lack of pleading and dependent prayer before the Lord when we face suffering and trials and problems reveals that we believe that we are our own hope, that we are the ones that can solve our problems. Our lack of running to the Lord reveals that we don't have the faith to believe that he is the one that can solve the problems and deal with the suffering in our lives. He continues, verse 18. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, Selah, because they do not change and do not fear God. God hears the prayers of his people. David knows this. In the midst of the battles that he's facing, God hears his prayers. In the midst of the challenges that he's facing, God hears his prayers. In the midst of shifting, all right, so he's been lamenting and he's coming before the Lord here. And he's recalling, God, you're my hope, my salvation. He does something that's so familiar and relatable for us as Christians. He shifts back into lamenting. And he re remembers the same problem we just mentioned earlier in verse 20. 
He goes, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. That, that's so relatable. Like in the midst of prayers, lamenting, God, I'm facing this. God, you are good. You're sovereign. You can make this happen. But oh, man, this is so difficult. That's what's happening here. He's lamenting this friend who stabbed him in the back, who had smooth speech as he slid the knife into his back. Lamenting, praying, calling out. You see the, 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 the stirring of emotions that's happening in his soul. And then all of this is leading up to the crescendo of this psalm. It's leading up to the moment where David, like we've been, this is David before the Lord up until verse 22. But now David shifts to look at the audience and he's talking to us. And here comes the advice that he gives to us in verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden. After all the pain, and amidst all the struggle, he says, cast your burden. Another version says, cast your cares. In the Septuagint, which the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So they had, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, mostly Hebrew, but some Aramaic. And about 200 years before Jesus came, they translated it into the common language of the day. At the time, across the empire, which was Greek. And the Septuagint is actually a very helpful scholarly tool to help us understand some stuff in the New Testament. Because New Testament writers would absolutely know the Old Testament Septuagint very well. And in the Septuagint, the Greek version here, in verse 22, it says, Cast your anxieties on the Lord. And that word for anxieties shows up in the New Testament in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious. Paul, I would argue, absolutely knowing the Septuagint, memorizing it, would absolutely know, cast your anxieties on the Lord and the connections that are being made here. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, how good is that? Cast your anxieties, your burdens, your worries on the Lord. Why? Because he will never let the righteous be moved. And this side of the cross, an empty tomb, we know what that means. Peter, in writing a letter to some churches that are suffering immensely. In 1 Peter, he begins the letter by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. 
Hear that again. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That when you place your faith in Jesus and the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb, God guards the deposit of faith. We have a credit of righteousness to our eternal account. When God the Father looks at us, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. We are called righteous in Christ. And we are never moved because of it. That no one can touch our eternity. There's a promise for those of us who are in Christ. Which means that when life hits you in the face over and over and over again. Listen, life is like an hourglass glued to the table. It is. There is no rewind button in the midst of suffering and trials. You should put your head in your hands. You should breathe. And cast your anxieties upon the Lord. Cast your burdens to the one who can carry it. Listen, God, hear this very clearly. God is not like your friends, okay? God is not like your spouse. God is not like your community group. He's not like Christians. He does not grow tired and weary of hearing your complaints, He's inexhaustible. You cannot exhaust him, okay? God does not grow tired of hearing your worries, your burdens, your anxieties. In fact, God desires your burdens. Come to me who are burdened and heavy laden. I will give you rest. God desires your anxieties. Cast them upon him. He doesn't grow tired of hearing it. That's what David is trying to help us see. David ends with choosing faith in the midst of his worries. In verse 23, he finishes it out saying, But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. He's saying, good will triumph over evil. But I will trust in you. He will trust in God. Cast your burden on the Lord, verse 22. And he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be moved. That is so unbelievably important for this current cultural moment. Because here's the deal. What happens is, is that anxiety gets built up to be this boogeyman. Like right now, it's anxiety for many people is this unstoppable force, this train that cannot be approached. It's just going to run you over. It's just going to crush you. And it's built up to be this, this figure that is going to win. Or what happens is that, so for the longest time, anxiety was stigmatized in our culture. And it should not have been. But like many things in life, it's a pendulum swing. And the pendulum has swung from stigmatized to almost celebrated. A lot of times people cast their anxieties on the world, on social media. And what happens there is it gets celebrated. It gets likes. It gets shares. 
TikTok videos galore. And it's culturally rewarded. It almost earns you a bit of victim status. So it's either, in a lot of ways, this immovable force that's going to come and crush you, or it's something that you should celebrate in an effort to, well, in an effort to destigmatize it. It just, it's like, no. Listen, if you've sat under my teaching long enough, you've, I've talked about this and will talk about this. Anxiety is complicated, okay? There's physical elements and there's spiritual stuff, all of that. Yes and amen. Go back to our soul care series and you'll hear a more fleshed out understanding of this. Yes. But the Bible is not silent on this. It's not. It's not silent on this. It gives us an approach. And we're called to live that out. Some of you do. You cast your anxieties on social media. You cast your anxieties on the world. You cast your burdens on the world. Well, it's not made for that. God is. Some of you will escape the burdens of this world through entertainment. Through, you'll find shelter in entertainment and pornography and all things that will try to distract you. It's not a safe place. It does not give rest to the soul. Some of you will run to substances like alcohol or pills or marijuana, something that will numb the pain. It doesn't. It doesn't solve the problems of the heart. It will not bring comfort. Some of you put your faith in yourselves. And your go-to is you will fix it. You will strong-arm it. You will be the one that solves your problems by your hard work. And if that is your approach in life, you, you, are, you are heading to a spiral. That you, you, you are heading to a midlife crisis that you don't see coming because you are not sufficient to handle your problems. Some of you look to political saviors with the burdens and anxieties that you face in this life thinking that someone every two or four years is going to come along and fix your problems. Politicians are horrible, horrible saviors. Listen, some of us run to actually good things. It's just out of order. Some of you run to church family. And listen, Galatians 6.1, bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay? You should bear one of those burdens. Christians should bear burdens with you. They should not be the primary, the first, and the one you go to the most, though. That's unbelievably important because some of you are going to get mad because folks in your group grow tired of hearing your complaints and your anxieties. And they don't respond like they should or they don't text back when they should. And you get frustrated. The reason why is because other Christians were not designed to hear your complaints morning, noon, and night. Only God can do that. And for those of you who are married, not even your spouse is designed for that. To hear it morning and noon and night. They're not. But God is. He is designed. He's inexhaustible. He will take all of it. And God desires it. He desires your burdens. He desires your troubles. He desires your anxieties. He wants it. So, what does that practically look like on a daily basis? Let me give you one example as I close out. Let's just say you're waiting on some test results to come back. Is it going to be cancer or is it not? And it's weighing on your heart. And you wake up and you feel it, the tightness in your chest. Here's, here's what you should do. You should 
come before the Lord in word and prayer. Open up the scriptures and hear eternal truth and pray. Cast all of it before the Lord. Let him hear the complaints of your heart. Say, God, I'm struggling. I'm worried. Let him hear your complaints. When you get done, text your group. Say, guys, I'm struggling this morning. Pray for me. Can I go to work? Maybe you get to work and you decide, I, you know what, I, I, I need the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast through lunch. And I'm going to pray. I need that humble, dependent, needy prayer before the Lord. So I'm going to fast through lunch. And you pray some more. You take moments where you work for 20 minutes and then you pause for five and you pray some more. Three o'clock hits, which is like the devil's hour. I don't know what happens at three o'clock in the afternoon, but just productivity for me just dies. Start thinking about all kinds of things. Maybe it hits you at three o'clock and all of a sudden you're just, a wave of anxiety hits. I'm like, am I going to be, am I going to leave my children fatherless or motherless? Am I going to leave my spouse without, what? and you, this wave hits you and you pause right then and there and you breathe and you pray some more and you cast your anxieties on the Lord again. And then you go home and it's tempting to go home and to open a bottle of wine and to binge on a Netflix show, but you're not going to do that because you know there's not safety there. You know there's not actual hope there. And you pray. And then when your head hits the pillow and you can't go to sleep because you're worried about the thing, you pray some more. You listen to a sermon. You listen to the scriptures. And you cast your anxieties before the Lord. And the, way, the next day you wake up, you do it again and again and again. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you do this, God will bring peace that you never thought possible. God will walk with you in ways you never thought possible. God will comfort you in ways that you never thought possible. And you will walk with your Lord through it all. He never will let the righteous be moved eternally. You can bank on that. But we got to believe that. As the band comes up and we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. There are a lot of things that we face in our church. There are a lot of people here that are struggling. There are a lot of people that have all kinds of things that are weighing on our souls. Remember how good our God is. Then on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. And he took the cup, which is the cup of the new covenant, and said, this is my blood that was shed for you, that as often as you eat and drink this, you proclaim my death until I return. And as the people of God, we stay in the middle of that, looking back to the cross, looking back to the resurrection, looking back to the hope that we have at Calvary. That's how much our God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us, that we might have relationship with him that resounds into eternity, that we might be the righteous who are not moved, that we might have a great high priest that we can run to in the midst of anxieties and cast them upon him, and he will sustain us. We look forward to the future when one day there will be no more anxieties, there will be no more burdens, there will be no more worries, because all things will be made new. And we sit in the middle of that tension as the people of God who desperately need our Savior every day, evening, noon, morning, all the days of our lives. I want you to take a moment as you prepare to come take the Lord's Supper as Christians. I want you to cast your anxieties on the Lord right now.
in prayer. And I want you to come to this table. There's gluten-free in that back corner right there. And I want you to take the Lord's Supper and be reminded of your Savior and how good He is. But some of you have never actually tasted and seen how good our Savior is. Some of you have never understood a God who can take your burdens. And I want you this morning to not come to this table. I want you to right now, for the first time, cast all of your burdens, all of your sin upon the Lord. And I want you to follow Him and see that life with Him is beautiful and good because you will become the righteous that are not moved by His power. And that is the good news of the gospel. Let me pray. Father, a lot on our hearts, and we need you. We need you, Lord. Help us right now cast our burdens upon you. I thank you that you sustain us when we don't deserve it. I thank you that you desire all of our burdens and our anxieties and our worries. God, you are so good. I pray for those here that may not trust in you, may not believe in you, may never understood who you are, that right now you become so beautiful and worthy of surrender that they would give their life to the God who sustains us and is here for us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.